thinking just the other day Had that reckless, reckless abandon, which yeah. uh, rock and roll should have. Indeed. Rock and roll shouldn't be perfect, you know. Rock and roll has to have emotion. Yeah, early Zeppelin, man, you catch Led, Led Zeppelin live, man. You know they could go anywhere at any time. It was like a train. On this episode of Playtime with WC Turk, I speak with the great Greg Martin from the Kentucky Headhunters. I am WC Turk. heard of the Kentucky Headhunters, their infectious hooks, devil make care lyrics, and sweat on the brow, working class, heart and soul, sincerity is right at home for toe-tapping honky-tonks and 2 a.m. bars. Their latest album is That's a Fact Jack, Kentucky Headhunters, KentuckyHeadhunters.com is the website. Grammy and Country Music Award winning guitarist Greg Martin joins the, uh, you joined, by the way, the, uh, the legendary buddy guy on stage in February. Yeah, was that well? It was actually uh, was it the end of February? I don't even know the date. I think I, I think a, I saw February twenty fifth or I, something. Yeah, it was right. Yes, it was the end of the month. I met Buddy Guy many years ago at a Grammy party, but it was a very brief meeting. Yeah, you know the Almond Brothers were there. Um, our dear old friend Johnny Johnson. We met him for the first time, and Buddy was there. But uh, mm-hmm. it was so brief. He didn't know who he were. Well, he knows who the headhunters are, but uh, I know his drummer, Tom Hambridge, uh-huh. and he's the producer. He's produced the last four or five albums on Buddy. Great okay. songwriter, great drummer, just a great guy. And my brother and my cousin got a hold of me about oh, about a month ago, five or six weeks ago, and said, hey, Buddy Guy's coming to Louisville. He's going to be at the Palace. And would you like to go? Well, I knew we were off. I had never witnessed Buddy Guy live because I knew Buddy Live was a it's an event still had. And um, so um, we went and I got a hold of Tom Hambridge. I'd worked up with Tom before on another project back a few years ago, around 2015, uh, uh, with Arlen Roth. Uh-huh. And I emailed him. I said, Hey, man, I'm going to be up. I'd like to say hi to you. And that was pretty much it. I said, maybe before we leave at night, we can just, just say hi real quick. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, he, he did, he actually got back and said, well, yeah, I'm opening the show. I'm out playing drums with him, you know, and he did his opening show. He went, to, he went to the merch table. I went over and said hi to him. We talked for a minute and I kind of, nothing was said about setting in. I walked up, walked away to talk to my family and he walked up to me and said, hey, would you freak out if we got you up to play? I said, well, no, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. He said, well, I know you weren't. He gave me a pass and said, you work your way backstage about an hour into the show, find the guitar tech. And if Buddy, make sure Buddy sees you. Don't be disappointed if he don't see you and it don't happen. But yeah. I really want it to happen. And it happened, man. You know, I got back there. I don't think Buddy knew who was coming out. Uh-huh. He was... He, they had my name on the app and on the uh, 
you know, has a Kentucky hat on. I don't think he ever looked at it. But when I walked out there, he said, I think he was expecting a, a young person. Uh-huh. And he said, you're not young. You're old <laughs> like me. Did you have a guitar with you? I didn't have a guitar with me. I used okay. one of his. Okay. I used his uh, polka dot guitar. Yeah. Because yeah. you came to that piece, so we're gonna we'll play a little bit here for uh, for our listeners. You uh, you came to that really strongly and really naturally. It, it, it was like it was like it was rehearsed. You were uh, that you you had been ready for it, and building up to it. Um, but you just stepped out on stage and, and jammed. As I told Tom Hambridge, uh-huh. I said it had to be a God moment because if I had had time to think about it all week, <laughs> I'd probably been a nervous wreck. But when it happened that quick, I didn't have time to get scared. And I just went out there, you know, I felt a real peace about it. I said, you know, whatever happens, I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And it went pretty well. I think once he saw that I could play in key, he, you remember, you, if you look at the clip, he just kind of motions to go ahead and play. Yeah, and he kind of yeah, steps aside, yeah. yeah. And I had to go over to him because I want to trade with him. I want to have a, a, a musical conversation with him. Yeah. And so I walked over, and, man, he was great. I mean, I I love Buddy Guy. You know, before, he's, before he's everything, he, he's, he's incredible. Before everything, uh, everything shut down, yeah. we, last year we talked with, uh, with Paul Nelson for a while. And, yeah. uh, and he was supposed to get up on, on stage and, uh, and play with buddy. Uh, and then everything shut down. And, yes. uh, so, so I, I'm still waiting for that to happen and, and yep. for Paul to get a hold of me and, uh, uh, capture a bit of that history. Absolutely. Will you tell Paul, I said, hi, I haven't seen Paul. <laughs> I think the last time I actually saw him. Was, Has anybody uh, seen anybody in two years? No, no. <laughs> that, you know, I don't think I saw him. Let me think about this. Last time I remember seeing Paul was uh, at the NAM show 2018. Uh-huh. And 2019, I was at the NAM show. I went down to do something for Gibson, and I didn't see him there. But then as 2020, everything shut down. Yeah. And we're just crawling out of the wreckage of that now, you know, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, slowly, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you had, by the way, you had COVID. Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, <laughs> Bill, I may have had it. I may have had it two or three times, but I was diagnosed yeah, with it yeah. once, the end of November, uh, mid-November 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was doing really good all year, except I may have had it. I may have had it at the end of 2019 and didn't realize it. Yeah, because yeah. I got sick with something and the doctor couldn't figure out what it was. Two or three in the band, we all had something and. Uh, they never could figure out what it was. And, but y'all and got, it was, y'all got through it. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, man, my, my cases were uh, the first time. If I, if that's what it was, it was indeed, I, I, I was really sore for, I mean, you know, it didn't feel good for about three days Yeah. when I was actually diagnosed with it. I just said, okay, I, I got to isolate for whatever, 10 days or two yeah. weeks. And, yeah. 
and I just I ended up sleeping a lot. I never lost taste or smell. Matter of fact, well, good. probably one of the few that put on weight during that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, Man. And that's a that's a good thing. Um, so this is this yeah. is where I am as an interview. I try to do I try to uh, accomplish two things. The first is I I really want to introduce the scope of an artist's work to my audience. Sure. That's sure. the primary. the The other thing is I want to make it interesting for you. So this is <laughs> so, so no 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 i mean i mean that yeah yeah i mean that and and that that's very important to me so I, i'm i'm looking and listening at all kinds of things i'm going through music i by the way i was a fan from the first album thank you and we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit I'll, I'll i'll share a couple things with you here in in a bit sure. but you've you've been at this for a while itchy brother was almost signed to Swan Song Records, I still have it somewhere in in a in a book or a file someplace. I still have my note from uh, from the International Amphitheater in Chicago here, where I had ordered tickets for the Led Zeppelin tour in 1980, the year that John Bonham passed away. And they sent me a letter saying, "We regret to inform you that the concert has been canceled." Yeah. Be- due to the, the untimely passing of Mr. Bonham. Yes. And, and it goes on and on like that. But mm-hmm. you guys, Itchy Brother, the what what ultimately became Kentucky Headhunters, mm-hmm. almost signed with Swan Song. Is that right? Yes, sir. It was, uh, it was in the works. Uh, yeah. Itchy Brother was Richard, Fred, our cousin Anthony Kenny, mm-hmm. and myself. And... I'm not bragging, but that band was a killer rock and roll band. It really I'm, was. Oh, it was so good. It. Uh, we used to play Illinois. We used to play uh, the Pier 312 and Mount Carmel. And okay. we used to play up in Vincennes. We used to, I mean, Illinois, all over Illinois. You know, there was a, um, Bill, there was a time after I graduated from high school in 72, I had to move to Louisville. And I was away from Richard, Fred, and Anthony for a bit. Mm-hmm. And they um we, we we played together when we could yeah and we actually recorded a 45 record under the moniker itchy brother when we changed the name to itchy brother in mm-hmm. 73 i mean I, there again we go back to 68 you know way back. yeah yeah and um i moved to louisville but um we recorded a little 45 record in 73 shotgun Effie and rock and roller yeah. and it was released in 74 just a, self-released uh, recorded in Burksville, Kentucky. All right. <laughs> you know? Wow. And, and it just, you know, my job, I, I, I started managing an electronic store in Louisville mm-hmm. and I had to just say, Hey guys, I can't do it now. Well, them guys, they went on mm-hmm. with a series of different musicians and by 1976 or 77, they had honed in on a pretty good lineup. You know, it was Richard, Fred, Anthony, and a fellow by the name of, Tim Speck and they mm-hmm. went to Atlanta uh, in 77. They uh, got a production deal with a company down there and they were being courted by Capricorn at that point. Okay. You know, there was some, there was some stuff going on with that, but at some point in the fall of 77, I got a call from Richard Young. So, Hey, Greg, uh, we came home. <laughs> I think they had come home uh, to take a break and also play with Black Oak, Arkansas and wow. Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, Tim Speck just up and quit. 
he just up and quit. I don't know. I never did really quite know why he quit. But uh, so I said, uh, would you be interested in rejoining the band? Anthony was playing guitar. He said, if Anthony will be glad to go back to bass, if you'll come back to guitar. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was just at a time in my life where I could do it. If it had been a year prior or two years prior, I would have been managing this electronic store and I probably would have been afraid to jump, but it was wow. just at a time I had quit my job after seeing Led Zeppelin in April of 77. <laughs> <laughs> I went, okay, I'm done. I'm done, man. I'm, I'm going to play music, you know? And, um, and by the, by the way, I'll caution, caution everybody. Don't do any math on any of these numbers. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. They're, these are just random numbers. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 1977. Uh-huh. I think I hope these numbers are right. Yeah, yeah. yeah don't. Uh-huh. I, it's weird. You know, I, at the end of 77, I was um, I quit my job and I'd seen Led Zeppelin and, and, I, and I was just kind of playing around Louisville when they called. So uh, Richard said, come on back. We're going to we'll, we'll rehearse. We'll we'll get together. and We'll go back to Atlanta. Well, I did that. I moved back to to Midcalf County from Louisville. And we got together and um, rehearsed, but we never went back to Atlanta. I, I never really quite know why we didn't go back, but that was fine. Uh, mm-hmm. We ended up making a connection with a long story in early 78. We were all trapped at Richard and Fred's parents' home because it was snow on the ground. It, it came this crazy snow. And one afternoon, we were all hanging out listening to music. And we all looked down on the floor and there was a swan song label, probably Led Zeppelin song remains the same or mm-hmm. physical graffiti or something. And Richard said, hey, let's call it swan song. Because <laughs> we were writing some pretty good songs. So it was the afternoon. Richard got the number from <laughs> information and he calls the number. And now as fate would have it, the secretary had already gone home. I think her name was Helen. And our future manager, Mitchell Fox, was walking out the door. He was headed to the elevator. He saw the phone ringing, heard the phone ringing. He picked it up and he started listening to Richard Spill. And he said it was like getting a call from Mars, but he was hooked right there. He wanted to come check us out. And hadn't heard a note. He hadn't heard a hadn't note. Hadn't heard was, a note. Wow. He, had, he hadn't heard a note. It, this is all fate, man. I, if we go back from day one how i met these guys and everything you go it was just a it was just written in the stars or something you know and uh so we started staying in touch with mitchell and we sent him tapes and he loved what we were doing finally um i believe it was around may of uh, 78 around derby time he flew flew louisville and we played at a little place called soundstage which, which was a great rock and roll bar and then when he saw us live, it was it was over, you know. So he he went back to New York. He was working for Swan Song, yeah. and he started talking us up. I don't remember what happened. Why we didn't really jump in on it then? Mm-hmm. We took a we had to end up taking a break at the end of '78. I had to go off and something went down. We had to. Um, I, I ended up taking a job for a bit for about a year and a half. Well, Mitchell got back to us said, I want you guys to get back together. I've got some financial funding. I can help you guys, you know, just rehearse right, this and that. So we put the band back together and uh, we ended up doing showcases. 
we were talking to Swan Song, this and that, and unfortunately, John Bilem dies. Man. And everything was just kind of put on hold, and that was it. And I don't know. That was I think it was another attempt, maybe getting signed to Adco or something yeah, else. Yeah. But, they, but disco was rearing its head. Southern rock was kind of on the outs, and and I ended up taking a gig in Nashville with Ronnie McDowell. Fred went with Sylvia. Richard started writing for Acuff Rose. Mm-hmm. But the very first day I started working with Ronnie McDowell, Doug Phelps joined the band, and that was just another part of the equation, so to speak. I can it's just see a long you guys, journey. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I can see you guys signing with Swanson, and I can see I could see what the attraction was there. I, I've listened to Shotgun Effie a, a number of times, and and the energy and and even the guitar sound is there. I mean, it, it, it's very reminiscent of of some of those early early days uh, of Zeppelin. Reckless abandon, which yeah. uh, rock and roll should have. Indeed. Rock and roll shouldn't be perfect. You know, rock and roll has to have emotion. Yeah, early Zeppelin, man. You catch Led Zeppelin live, man. You know, they could go anywhere at any time. It was like yeah. a train, you know. <laughs> um, we were very steeped in Led Zeppelin. Yeah, Montrose, Led Zeppelin, Cream, Jimi Hendrix. You know, the 70s, the mm-hmm. only country we were really uh, exposed to is just what we heard around us and i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean I, merle travis chet atkins I'm, i have a lot of that in me yeah but and the way we talked but uh the rock and roll was what we were trying to go for you know and and there was so much happening during that period with with a crossover from from folk and rock and country that was yeah. that was just revolutionary you started uh you said that that it was the beatles but especially the love and spoonfuls that that inspired you yeah. to pick up pick up the guitar. Yeah, I must say, music was always around my house. You know, there was always some really nice guitars around the house. My dad yeah. played a little bit. My older brother played rock and roll. Then we had a cousin move up from Midcalf County to Louisville, and he played guitar. So mm-hmm. there was always an abundance of nice guitars and records, and and. Um, so when I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in 64, that definitely planted a seed. Uh-huh. And it was something we had never witnessed before. It was just, uh, it was like, to me, it was multiplying what Elvis was two or three times. Yeah. And I thought, man, these guys are having fun and they're playing guitars and playing rock and roll. And after I started pecking around with it. And then in November, 1966, mm-hmm. my, uh, brother came home one day and said hey the love and spoonful we're going to be at memorial auditorium and uh, you want to go and i said yeah because i love that band i love that band and went to see those guys and that just uh done a number on me 
Later in life, you know, I kind of got to, I got to know John Sebastian and uh, got knew Zal before he passed, and I'd met Joe and Steve. So it's funny how things just kind of work work out, you know. But yeah. I guess I guess Bill, the, the defining moment though, what really pushed it over the edge, mm-hmm. it was this band from Louisville. At the end of '66, my dad got fed up with Louisville. He worked at a printing company, Fawcett Printing Company, mm-hmm. which. Uh, which it turned into world color press, which have a lot of roots in your area, mm-hmm. you know, and he got fed up with printing or just Louisville in general. And he said, we're moving to Midcap County, which is a hundred, about 110 miles from Louisville. Uh-huh. And that was the family roots. So at the end of, you know, we went through Christmas in Louisville. Uh, I had just seen the love and spoonful because I had that fire burning. And then, you know, I, got, I think I ended up getting uh, the hums of loving the loving spoonful for Christmas, and mm-hmm. got pet sounds by the Beach Boys, and uh, we moved. When we moved to Midcalf County, we moved to an old farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere, and only thing I had to keep me company, really, you know, was <laughs> I had an OAM radio, which uh, at night I could pick up WCFL out of Chicago, WLS yeah. Chicago, which made a big impact on me we could talk about WC- ron britton ron britton i know who i used to listen to ron britton yeah absolutely. Ron britton. Well, he started ron out britton in played, louisville he sure did he uh, plays a big part in why i got into radio and we will talk about him that's another all these things are funny how they worked out uh-huh. but anyway you know we moved to Metcalf county outside of edmonton and just because dad got fed up with louisville which was good and then the in the big picture it was like the greatest thing that could ever happen and we had these little stations that we would listen to from here in glasgow but uh-huh. at night they would cut their power and you couldn't hear them anymore and so that's when we start listening to wls and w, uh, wcfl maybe every now and then wowo or wlac out of nashville which was the r&b station right, right. and um but there again, if I hadn't have moved, I would have never met Richard and Fred. So fast forward to 68. My brother, you know, we're living in Midcalf County. Mm-hmm. My brother, my older brother, he, he had stayed behind and lived with our grandmother. He was going to get married. It was October of uh, 68. And we, we, we moved. We, we, we took the trip up for the, the wedding. And my cousin took me to see this band called Elysian Field which okay. was assigned to Imperial records. And they had a, like a regional hit record at the time. There were three piece, really a three piece power rock band, mm-hmm. but the records really didn't show that. I don't know, man. My, my cousin said, you want to, I want you to go see this guitarist. His name's Frank Bugby. And I don't know that night when they started playing, it just, it was just put me under a spell. And I said, well, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to play rock and roll blues guitar in a band. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks later, 
I met Richard. <laughs> wow. Fred. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Back to Ron Britton. I, I was going to ask you this. Oh, a little bit. yeah, man. Yeah. I was going to ask you this a little bit later because uh, I've got uh, I've got a very dear friend. I work with him. Uh, I, I also host a podcast for the Chicago Writers Association with uh, with a friend, Rick Kempfer, uh, who was on WLUP here in Chicago. Uh, he worked with Steve Dahl and uh, and oh, yeah. all of these all these great names. Okay. He now has he now has a publishing company here yeah. in in Chicago at Eckhart's Press. They've we, we were able we were able to get John Records Landecker on our show f- uh, because Boogie because check. of Rick. Yes, Boogie, Boogie check. check, man, man, you know it. I um, do, man. I lived uh, it. I lived it, brother. Bill yeah. Page and Mitch Michaels and Bob Stroud and Bobby. Mitch Skatefish. Michaels. Mitch, Mitch Michaels. Michaels. Man, yeah. You know, Mitch, you know, Mitch did a stint in uh, at WKLO in Louisville. Yes, I yes. I, I think I think he's been. Uh, Mitch Michaels has been at damn near every. Rock is he radio still, is he still around on the planet? I don't. I don't know. That's a great question. I, yeah. I'll, I'll. I'll find out. But. Uh, okay. But I can. I can ask Rick. You've got a hell of a story to tell. Have you ever thought about writing a memoir? Well, if it was, if it encompassed not just, I feel like there's a, a separate book for the headhunters. But. Yeah. And yeah, you've been I, kind I would, of telling telling a story through the yeah, headhunters over the it. years. Yeah. Oh yeah, just just how things kind of connect. I yeah, uh-huh. I mean yeah, I mean it, it could be done. The radio, it's just always been a part of me, uh, going back to 1959 or 60. Yeah, listening to uh, WTMT out of Louisville, yeah. which was the country station. Hearing that at my dad's Plymouth, and then in, around 64 here in WKLO and WAKY in Louisville, mm-hmm. and I would uh, 65, I would take the Tark bus to my grandparents' house mm-hmm. down in. Uh, downtown louisville and i would this is crazy man uh i'd go to I'd go look at the guitars i go to vine records and look at the records i go to tiff's records and look at the records but i would go to the wklo showcase window and i watched johnny randolph and i and i saw mitch michael's work before yeah. uh bill bailey used to see bill you remember him i do yeah he, absolutely he, he did a short stint in chicago yeah uh, 69 i think yeah. And then uh, I used to watch the DJs, and I was just always in, infatuated by the two turntables, the, the old Gates board or whatever board it was, mm-hmm. and you know the cart machines. I thought, man, what a cool, yeah. what a cool gig! And and you know this, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I, there's something to tell because it all it's because it, this these things happen for a reason, you know. Yeah, Every, yeah. everything. It's an ongoing adventure, so to speak. And and but I yeah. wasn't I wasn't going to go here just yet. I was I was going to wait a little you bit longer because I, I I still I still want to get I still want to let folks know first of all about about the amazing catalog of Kentucky Headhunters. Oh, um, and then and then we 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 have to talk. We really have to talk about the new album. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> you you do a radio show called the Lowdown Hoedown in in Louisville. Yes, uh, in well, which, it's, yeah. it's actually out of Bowling Green. Okay. It's out of Bowling Green. Um, Even better. I've been to Bowling Green a couple of times, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful town. Much- yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, I did an interview f- uh, for Guitar, a vintage guitar magazine, and, mm-hmm. and the guy, that's probably where you got that from, because hey, he says it's in Louisville, but it's no big deal. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you can stream it, so it's all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been at WDNS. 
Oh gosh, I started in November of 2001 uh-huh. there. And actually I'd done the low down, hoe down a couple of two years and a half at another station in Campbellsville, just uh-huh. trying to figure out the format and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And, um, and actually on my 18th anniversary show, Ron Britton was my guest. He oh, came down, my God. Him, and, him and Peach drove down, spent the night and, uh, he was we, we he co-hosted the show with me. <laughs> it was so special, man. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, but you you talk about the history of uh, of rock through R and B and blues and jazz and and all that. Yeah. 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 Um, and and I'm I'm actually working on a book called The History of Light for the Artist. Uh, and I, I, as as I'm writing it, I'm I'm putting up posts on on the podcast oh, yeah. uh, where, yeah. where I I go back. This is this is where I am right now because I'm yeah. I'm kind of going through um, through the ancient Greeks, but I think you'll find this this very interesting that uh, that philosophy written philosophy the way it was written by the True. early Greeks Plato and and, and Aristotle mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. was was written in almost as as poetry. It mm-hmm. was it was the bridge between between the musical theater that was uh endemic of mm-hmm. the of the ancient greeks but that that led or, or that evolved out of out of the storytelling traditions and mm-hmm. uh the mm-hmm. epic of gilgamesh which was which was played on string in, instruments and sung and um and and just extends back through the horizon of of human history yeah if you if you get into the psalms and the bible man there's instruments and poetry you know it, you know all that exactly uh, exactly Ecclesiastes. Which, which which leads to which leads to um african and slave spirituals and yes. and fed yes. fed the blues and the jazz you you yes. know all this so i i just i found that incredibly interesting and exciting and i wondered what it does to deepen your your playing or your your background on on music you doing the, doing the study on music, the, the exploration of, of the history of music. Absolutely. I think it's very important. If you play an instrument and you're serious about it, yeah, you, you should be an, it should be a student of it and, and you should study, even though what brought me into the game was the Beatles, the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones, the Love and Spoonful, the Yardbirds. There came a time when cream hit mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix hit Led Zeppelin. And we started studying the liner notes and like cream doing um, crossroads. And I wanted to know who Robert Johnson was. Yeah. 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 Uh, then when I saw that cream was doing sitting on top of the world, well, who's Chester Burnett. Mm-hmm. And I went back and found out that was Helen Wolf. And then uh, listen to the Allman brothers, uh, for instance, um, trouble no more. Mm-hmm. You see the name on there, McKinley Morganfield. Well, that's Muddy Waters. Then yeah. I want to know who Willie Dixon was. And it's just, a, you know, to me, the Michael Bloomfields, the Elvin Bishops, yeah. the Eric Clapton's, the Jimi Hendrix uh, folks led me back to listen to B.B. King, Freddie King, Albert King, Otis yeah. Rush, J.B. Hutto. Yeah. Uh, all these, you know, you know, Little Walter. Uh, all, of course, <laughs> Chicago, you know, man, we could go into that. That's another 
subject altogether, man. Music, you know. But Michael Bloomfield made a big impact on me on Super mm-hmm. Session and Electric Flag. And, of course, Paul Butterfield, too. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. man, I think, uh, you know, going back, I mean, if you look around my room here, this is my library right here. You oh. see my CDs? Yeah. Oh, God love you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's ongoing for me, Bill. I mean, it's ongoing. Uh, every, a matter of fact, um, when we get done here later on, uh-huh. <laughs> we'll talk as long as you want, but uh, I, I got to work on a radio show. So tonight I'm going to, I'm going to work on, I've, I've already got a show together for tomorrow night, Yeah. Uh, but I got to work on something. So I've got to get, get in my mind going, okay, what's going to be the f- feature artist then? Then it's kind of like a freeform thing. What's yeah. going to fit with this? I'll probably do Lightning Hopkins next week, which is Texas blues, you know. But it's just ongoing, man. It, it deepens my love for the art form. You've heard this before. Blues had a baby, and they call it rock and roll. <laughs> uh, the blues actually fed mm-hmm. rock and roll. As much as I love rock and roll, I love blues. I love r and I love soul music. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the cool thing is about listening to AM radio back in the 60s and 70s, it was so neat. You'd hear Funky Broadway by Wilson Pickett, and then you might hear uh, Shapes of Things by the Yardbirds, you know? And then a little later on, you hear Sunshine of Your Love. I'll be with you when the stars start falling. Peace of my heart by Janis Joplin. Then I'm going to throw some at you. You might hear the crying shames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Baby Huey and the Babysitters from uh, Chicago. You know, I know, I know a lot about Chicago bands too. We uh, we we made a mark in music. Sure did, buddy. and we but, and we, we still make a mark in music. The, I, I talk with so many. Yeah, sure local artists blues uh i just talked with with a uh, with a dream pop group um a, a a great folk artist there's so much happening in in this city but the, then there's there's so much happening in music around the world i think i think we're in kind of a renaissance of of music right now yeah man there's just so yeah yes we are and there's so much to go back and discover there's things i mean I still find things I go, wow, this connects to a certain person, you know, Uh, Chicago, gosh, there's just so many great, great musicians come out. And still, you're right. There's there's some great musicians up there now, the great stuff going on. Yeah, incredible, incredible. I wanted, since we're on on the blues here a little bit, I wanted to get your thoughts. I had Martin Barr on the uh, on the show. Um, uh, yeah, uh, he was, he was actually the, the first person he, he wanted to be the first guest on the podcast. Uh, he, he's, he's a dear, dear friend. We've had him on, on the show. We had him on the radio show a couple of times, uh, from the back of a van, uh, by the way. And, and for, for this one, he's now, he's on, he's on tour now. He was just up, uh, up here in Illinois at the Arcata theater. He's driving the van, the 74 year old guy still driving the van, still it's getting up on great. stage. 
and and, and blowing out the speakers every night. But he <laughs> so he said this about about the blues. Blues is so simple if, if you examine the musicality of it, but the actual construction and, and the way it's applied mm -hmm. is incredibly complex because you know it, it's really following a simple chord progression, but it, it's the, the note placements and, and it's so vital. It's something you you really have to learn how to feel it. It's it's a but I I love a melodic approach to 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 music yeah. music in general. That that they're fast tracking. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. Does, it doesn't work because at every stage of the learning process in music, whatever your instrument, yeah, you've got to examine what you're doing and perfect it and hone it, and then you move on to the next stage. But kids you know i mean I, I can understand it but they're impatient you know that they want to get as far as they can go tomorrow yeah um, yeah so that they they sort of you know i mean i i know of some incredible jazz fusion players uh -huh. that can't play a 12 bar blues and to me that that, that is what i'm talking about because uh, if you don't understand the building blocks of music that then, you know, that the further you get into it, you, you have this void that's that's forever there. Uh, and and looking looking at the wall and a half of music that you have, that that's your journey, brother. It, it's a journey. It, it really is. And and Martin Barr, what a great guitarist. What a great tone. Yeah, man. He's he's a, he was a Les Paul one of the Les Paul guys. Yeah. He's one of the reasons. That's, he's one of the reasons I've got one of these babies. This is my 58 Les Paul right here. Oh, nice. That's my 58. And um, he's one of the guys that, that played a 58 along with Michael Bloomfield and mm -hmm. Jimmy Page. But, yeah, the blues, uh, you know, I heard somebody say, well, they're easy to play. Oh, it was Jimi Hendrix. Uh, this is not exactly <laughs> a paraphrase. The blues are easy to play but not easy to feel. you got to feel it. It's got to, you know, I mean, I've got a guitar here. I'm not going to blow after you know either you you hit a note but if you really want to feel it you know you want to get a mm -hmm. you know, put something uh, a little shake into it you know put a little little flavor to it you got to feel it right here what what musicians i guess call a grace note yeah exactly that, that little extra little exactly. bit of flavor and uh and yeah. life that Crazy. is yeah, phrasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to come back to this since I can't. I can't keep you all day, even though I'd love to. But I, <laughs> I, I can't keep you all day. You're good, um, man. I but mean... I want to. I want to walk people through at least a little bit sure. of of the the great music of the Kentucky Headhunters. I had that very sure. first Kentucky Headhunters album picking on Nashville. Yeah, on on cassette. Yes. Which which I which had come apart a couple of times, and I respooled it with the. Uh, and uh, by the way, speaking of Martin Barr, I, I missed this opportunity with him when he said he still carries uh, carries around a cassette recorder to to capture uh, musical inspiration. And and I failed to ask. Oh, that's him, great. Yeah, but I failed to ask him where, where do you still find cassette tapes? <laughs> right? Every now and then, every now and then, uh huh. I've seen it. Every now and then you'll see a a package of three at walmart but okay. they're uh they're not high quality i remember going to walmart you could buy the oh they're really nice um yeah. i don't know what brand we're talking max sale and all that stuff yeah. and every now and then you might see a package at the dollar store but 
gosh, yeah, I, I used cassettes like crazy. Yeah. Okay. Back I, in the day. I, it's it's been many many years since I, I've looked for them, but yeah. So that, that was that was one of the questions I had. But uh, I still have "Oh Lonesome Me" by you guys on yeah. uh, on my MP3 playlist. And when uh, when I was approached about uh, about doing this interview, I sure. had just listened to it the week before. <laughs> That's uh, the way it works, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad was a big, big Jimmy Dean fan, um, and you you guys on on that first album also did a beautiful rendition, a rockin' rendition of Skip a Rope. Yeah, that, that's that's where I grew up. His, well, yeah. uh, the original, uh, Jimmy Dean did a version, but, uh, right. you know, the, the hit version that we grew up with. Henson Cargill. Henson Cargill, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was that 67 or 6? I can't remember exactly. I think it was somewhere. 67. Yeah, but I, yeah. Yeah. But we're in the ballpark. Great song, man. Great song. So, so I, I guess I wanted to ask you this. You, you guys are seasoned pros now. Do you recall what those first recording sessions or writing sessions were for, for picking on Nashville. And, and you picked some, some rock solid covers to play, which as, as a new band, you would have had to have really made some strategic decisions about picking those particular songs. Am I right? Yeah, that's yeah, true, man. It was there again. It, we must've had some help from above on this because that album yeah. That, that first album is it captured a moment yeah. and I don't know if we could have done any better on it, but I'm going to show you something. Cause I haven't, a lot of people haven't seen this. Okay. This is picking on Nashville before it was actually released on, on uh, this was the version, the eight song version that we put out with the help of Jonathan DW Lyle mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. Richmond, Virginia. He funded this. And this is what got us our deal right here. This was released only in this area here. We sold it at gigs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple, <laughs> two or three record stores had it. And that was the original Picking on Nashville. And we did a showcase in the end of 88 where Harold Shedd seen us. Uh -huh. 
uh-huh. and he took all these cassettes and he said, I'm going to sign this band. So we remixed part of this, same songs. We had it smooth and my daddy was a milkman. Put it on cassette. Uh, and I, I, I remember, was- I remember musical, musical friends recording, recording to cassette and then mailing them off or handing them out. Did the same. We all did that. We all did that. Um, well, you got to, you know, you have to go back uh, to answer your question. The Headhunters were formed in 86. Mm-hmm. It was Doug, Richard, Fred, and me. Mm-hmm. And for the first few months, it was us four. We, we got together initially here in Glasgow in my basement. We were going to put Itchy Brother back together with our cousin Anthony. Mm-hmm. But when we started talking to him, he wasn't really interested in getting back into the music thing at that point. He had just taken a job. He, he was married. And of course, I was out. I was on the road, but we made this. We made it work. We made it work. And uh, we got, to, and I kept saying, well, well, let's try Doug Phelps out. I think Richard and Fred maybe came to a couple of McDowell gigs to check him out. And we got together in my basement and then we thought, okay, this will work. So we immediately started writing songs together. Uh, we wrote a song that appeared on the second album called Big Mexican Dinner. Some folks like to steal, and uh-huh. so we started writing. You know, the four of us started writing. Then we had uh, Ricky, who was on the first two albums, and we just started compiling our songs. One night, I was out with Ronnie McDowell, Doug, and I we were playing together with him. We were in Richmond, Virginia, playing at a place called Dukes. At the end of the set, Ronnie would walk off, and the band would play a song. We just happened to play "Hideaway" by Freddie King. Soon as we got done, this fellow walked up out of the crowd and said, Oh, you guys like blues. And it was Jonathan D.W. Lyle. And we got talking to him and we took him on the bus and played him a cassette of the Headhunters rehearsing. And he took an interest. There you go. He took an interest in what we were doing. He came visit us in Kentucky a couple of times. He'd come to see us in Atlanta. And he loaned us, he out he just he loaned us forty five hundred dollars. No paper signed or nothing. And we did pick it on Nashville. And that's what the, that's what it got initially. <laughs> and then, like I say, it, it, when it when it, we signed, we finally did uh, we did a showcase in 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, Sony Records was interested and they turned it down because when they saw us live, they thought, oh, you guys are really a rock band. But Harold Shedd had just taken over wow. the, the president's spot at Mercury, Nashville. Yeah. And he. Yeah. He saw something in us and paperwork started happening and we signed by the summer of 1989 and it came out in October, but cassettes, you know, that was the big thing, man. Cassettes were, you know, I worked at it a record. Was, yeah. I quit Ronnie McDowell in June of 1989 uh-huh. uh, to take a job at a record store until the band got going. And I remember selling cassettes, cause singles. Just, vinyl. just as an aside, I, I don't know what it's like by you. There are no more 
record stores up here. There, I think there's a, there's a couple of used places that sell vinyl because vinyl is beginning to come back a little bit, at least for the DJ yep. circuit. I used to I used to go to a go to a record store here in the city, and uh, and Jeff and Jeff Tweedy would be next to me. And Jeff Tweedy, it, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and you know he he'd be going he'd be going through yeah. the latest stuff or looking looking for some. Um, do you still have access down there to to record stores? And and if you don't, how much do you miss them? And and what do you think that the the lack of record stores does for music or for or for young people that that like you were inspired by all of yeah. those great bands? Oh yeah, man! I'm <laughs> I bought my first record. I can tell you where I bought it and, uh-huh. and what it was. The first record I ever bought was at King's Record Shop in Louisville. And it was a Roseanne Cash album called King's Record Shop or Record Store. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember walking in there and Gene King was behind the counter. He was really stern until wow. I got to know him later. And um, I bought California Girls by the Beach Boys, backed up with um, Let Him Run Wild. Then I went back maybe like a month later and bought Herman's Hermits on tour. So that was a great record store. King's Record Shop was great. Uh, yeah. There was a record store in Louisville. Shively Records. There was Vine Records. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then um, Arlen's department store had a great record section. Yeah. I loved it. It just, it you went talked about heart. Yeah, you, you talked about liner notes, and, and there are yeah. no more liner notes anymore. Yeah. But those yeah. were absolutely essential, uh, whether you were a musician or just a, just a yes. music lover. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And we studied those liner notes. And that that was the thing about it. part of what we were talking about studying, going back and studying music. You know, and I loved it. I was a big Beach Boy fan, especially, mm-hmm. especially, you know, the Pet Sounds era, that era. And yeah. I just thought Brian Wilson hung the moon. And um, I, I was always studying the liner notes, you know, uh, you know, Brian Wilson, Mike Love writing something, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know I, I, all the way down, always down to the publishing company, you know, or yeah. whatever, everything. Yeah, liner notes now are crazy. But yeah, we, we have a pretty good, we got a nice record store in Bowling Green, which I, I went yesterday. Mellow Mats, they sell new vinyl, they sell new CDs, but they got an abundance of old CDs and albums. There's a few record stores around Kentucky. Melodies and Memories is really good mm-hmm. in Bowling Green. Uh, in Louisville, uh, Better Days has got a great store up there. Lexington has got a great store. So I know where the three, I know where the ones are at, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's not like it was when we were kids. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Well, there was a bookstore and a, and a record store on, on damn near every corner. Oh uh, man. It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. While, uh, while, while we're still here, um, I, I need to ask you this about uh, yes, picking on Nashville. Um, yes, sir. It's such an important uh, mm-hmm. piece mm-hmm. Of, of your repertoire. Um, I grew up in small towns. I remember reading about the song Dumas Walker. Everyone, everyone said that, that they knew a Dumas Walker. Well, let's all go. Yeah, we're headed to the 
I'd love to hear you tell the story uh, about him uh, mm -hmm. and about that slice of the American heartland that yeah. inspired the song. Well, you know, it's funny. It's a really, it's really about two different places, but the biggest part does take place through Dumas Walker and uh -huh. Dumas had a little service station grocery store that sold beer and just essential groceries and sold gas on the Tennessee, Kentucky line below Tompkinsville, Kentucky, mm -hmm. Moss, Tennessee. And how we got to kind of know him is when we were younger, every Halloween, South Central Kentucky would go crazy. People would, <laughs> <laughs> a town, people go by fireworks, M80s, cherry bombs, bottle rockets, and little town like Edmond would turn into the Wild West and they'd be, <laughs> they'd be flinging pumpkins at you. And, you know, <laughs> there's even one urban legend of a car in summer shade about 20 miles from here getting blown up, you know, okay. here. but we would go down and buy our firecrackers uh -huh. and our 80s and cherry bombs and stuff. Because you we couldn't get them in. Yeah, you couldn't get them in, in Kentucky. Couldn't get them in Kentucky at yeah. all. They were, yeah, they were only for agriculture use, of course. <laughs> that's, that's what they thought. Man, I mean, there's a lot of, not that we did it, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, mailboxes got blew up around here and uh -huh. all craziness but we would go down and get our fireworks early on and then as we grew up and got older we would go down and buy beer because it was dry up here as well uh -huh. so adumas was a, a marble shooting champion you know yeah. too he really he was great now the slaw burger fries and a bottle of ski came from a place in greensburg kentucky called the greasy spoon okay and greasy spoon just didn't sing as well just didn't sing as well. So we just added two different places together. We first frequented. Uh, but uh, I, I have to have to say, Dumas sure. Walker doesn't. Yeah. At least for from a layman's perspective, doesn't doesn't seem like it would ever ever be a hit song. And and exactly. I think you guys took it to the number fifteen on the Billboard charts. The country music charts you know what yes it, it did it never cracked uh cracked the top 10 yeah but it gave us a career it's it's an impact record yeah. it sold a lot of records you know we weren't the darlings of country radio when we, <laughs> we came out i mean the uh walk softly i don't know what it did i'm going to guess it went maybe 20s or something like that maybe yeah i don't even know maybe 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 in the 30s then Dumas Walker did a little better. Oh, Lonesome Me actually cracked the top 10. Mm -hmm. I don't think Rock and Roll Angel quite made it, but we never were really embraced by country radio because we were different. You know, yeah. we, were, it, we were country, but we had too much rock, I guess, for us, you know, um, and us to, to really to fit their mold, so to speak, back then. I've affectionately called my house the Dumas Walker estate for years. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it really connects though, especially I think if, if you have, yeah. if you have that small town perspective, my, yes. my first thought was there was a guy who, when I was 16, yeah. uh, we used to drive into Joliet and, and he would yeah. sell us beer. If you had, yeah. if you had a good enough looking, uh, a sellable enough, uh, looking, uh, looking fake ID, you were in. Exactly. Um, but there was there was also there was also a hominess there was a fatherliness to to this guy and so yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of 
layering that over my impression of of the song and and the person uh dumas walker well he was real as he can be yeah and he was a stern old fellow when you first met him he didn't have a whole lot to say till he warmed up to you <laughs> and you know he uh funny thing is we we had actually recorded a 45 but the dumas walker went on the 45 so yeah. somehow he got a hold of our version of Dumas Walker, and he was actually selling it on a cassette to people <laughs> and, <laughs> or giving it away. I can't remember what the story was. Sorry, the state of Tennessee actually memorialized yes, uh, him sure because of the song. They sure did. We uh, back in September, I believe. There's a yeah. there's a new there's a plaque dedicated to him, and we went down to the uh, dedication. Uh, it, it was amazing. It's just amazing how this. This worked out. He was a sweet fella. He was a nice guy. Once you yeah. got to know him, a little quiet, mm -hmm. but he loved the attention and brought him in his later years. He passed yeah. it, passed to 91. Then his wife, I'm not sure what year Miss Walker passed away. Mm -hmm. But you know, there was a club, there was a nightclub in Chicago called Dumas Walkers for a while. Was and I think really? maybe wow. there might have been I don't know. This would have been like 92, 93. And there may have been we never said anything, but there may have been a problem with the family that I, I, it's no longer going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I keep coming back to this because we, we speak with so yeah. many young musicians yes, and sir. there's that, that side of, of music writing that is, is business and commerciality and sellability. Right. Yes. I keep coming back to the, just the idea of, of writing a song called Dumas Walker about, yes. about somebody who probably most people in in the rest of the country would never ever know or never meet and yet it's, it it resonated so strongly but the instinct to write the song I, I i'd love to get as close to the spark of that as possible well this is funny the spark of it what i was working in louisville when I was running the electronics store, one this would have been like 1976. One afternoon, Fred Young calls me. Uh -huh. I think Fred, you know, Fred would, even though we weren't playing together at that time, I'd hear from Fred because we all, it didn't matter if we were playing together or not. We were still family. We would always get together. And Fred called me one day and we got talking about songs and about how important it was to write about, this is even back then, to write about something you know. You know, we can't write about surfing. <laughs> I can't write about drag uh, a car song because I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not a hot rodder. But we were talking about back then writing a song about the, this very thing, about Dumas Walkers and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I think subliminally, it was just in the back of our mind. And we put the headhunters together. We started jamming on that. Yeah. And I've got a tape here somewhere. And in my garage of us actually jamming on it and that when that slaw burger fries and a bottle of ski came up wow. it it just happened it it was a gift from above that's yeah. exactly all we are is antennas if you get out of the way and you can be silent for a little bit it'll come from above you know the, uh, yeah. richard's a great writer he writes great sermon type songs that's what i call them good thoughtful song but a song like Dumas, you're right. When, when we had it just on comes the, out of the ether. On this little cassette, yeah. uh, we were, Harold Shedd at first was questioning it. He said, I don't know if that, if anybody's going to understand that or not. Uh -huh. And we 
argued the point, we said we feel like they will because we saw the reaction that was getting. We were playing out live. And everybody has a nervous walker, as you say. It resonates in the spirit. My former, yeah. my former radio co-host, Terry Kendall, Playboy yes. in September 1990. We, we were doing these uh, Hidden History of the Music, the, the segment was called, where, where we were talking about the hidden history of, of songs or, or, or certain years. And, and we, we just completed 1971 when we, we closed down the radio show at the end of, end of last year. One of the things that I noted on, on a number of the classic albums that we talked about, including, including Led Zeppelin IV, was, uh, and, and I think uh, the, the Stones did this as well for, um, or, I'm sorry, The Who, for Who's Next. They yes. were they were in and out of the studio in a flat writing, and uh, I just saw Peter Jackson's Get Back, and yeah, there's been a lot of conversation about about them forcing the music, even though that's such a great album. But you know, they they sat down, they jammed, they had they had bits and pieces of music and lyrics and ideas and everything, and then it all came together in the studio in a in a very short period of time. That's what you guys did with this album. Uh, did did I see that correctly? Yeah, that's uh, you. You you hit it on the head, really. You know, you have to go if you go back to 2019. We're uh -huh. out. We're out touring. Everything's normal. You know, everybody's happy or pretty happy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how happy they were. Reasonably but, happy. Yeah, reasonably happy. Uh -huh. So going into 2020, even though I had possibly had COVID at the 20. 2019 i didn't know it we you know we end up going to uk doing a tour over there with jason and the scorchers and dan baird's homemade sin we came home we went through the holidays we jumped into 2020 did about five shows our last pre-pandemic show was at yeah. the uh, birchmere in alexandria virginia and we were going home and be off for about three weeks and reconvene in March of 2020. And as you know, what happened then, dates started disappearing. I heard some things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dates started. We were hearing about the, the pandemic and the virus, but we didn't know. I mean, I yeah. honestly didn't know it was going to affect us like it did. So in, you know, March, dates started going away. I think we ended up doing maybe, we were home all that year, you know, didn't see the guys hardly at all. We would go, we went out and done about four or five gigs during the pandemic. And they were like social distancing type mm -hmm. shows. And except for one or two where people just threw caution to the wind. I, our last show was in November, 2020. Mm -hmm. And that's when I caught COVID. So the last show I missed. So we sent Chris Robinson from Blackstone Cherry out to play for me. Yeah. And, I did the uh, isolation thing and uh, we were going to, initially we were going to get together at the end of 2020 and 
rehearse, see what kind of songs we had. That didn't happen. By the time I got done with COVID and we got into Thanksgiving, you know, man, it was just too cold to get together at the practice house. They said, we'll just reconvene at the uh, studio mm-hmm. in January. By the time we, <laughs> by the time the weather permitted it in the studio, they were, they were moving anyway. We finally got in the studio February of 2020. We had been throwing bits and pieces at each other, some through the email, but the most of it was put together on the floor. People would bring a song in. We had molded it into a headhunter song. It's very similar to, to Let It Be, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is this is a stunning album. Um, there are some beautiful later in life love love songs like Cup of Tea, Heart and Soul, We Belong Together. cover though of cheap tequila uh by rick derringer and there you've you've kind of set the bar very high on this song rick derringer does a great version of the song but being young it it kind of feels a little um a, a little rough but there's there's a sweetness and this perspective that you guys bring to the song. I'd love to know the decision behind adding that song to to the album. Fred Young. Fred Young had been after us. Of course, he sang Cup of Tea as well. Yeah. Uh, he had been after us to do Cheap Tequila for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he wanted us to do it on this album. And additionally, he wanted me to sing it. Yeah. And man, my singing chops are nowhere where they should be. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I sang Shotgun Epi. Only reason I've done that is because I, you know, we wrote it back in 73 and I sang it back then. I, uh-huh. And I, barely got about passed out trying to sing it this time but then <laughs> i went through i sang cheap tequila and i said man i'm just not nailing this i'm not fred you need to do it and uh-huh. fred went through it once or twice and that's it you know that's his genius and we what have you learned from that first album to to this album this this album feels to me like your strongest voice Oh, among okay. a great repertoire of of albums but this this one feels like like i'm listening to to the band's heart and soul it is there's there's no 
there was no label when there was a label interested it got a little crazy there was another there was a label that wanted to put it out and then something went awry there i can't remember what happened and uh but that it really we went into this just it was songs Uh you know it was all about the music gonna be all right was uh fred young tj lyle and i'm sure richard brought the outline of that and then we there again when somebody brings a song it it doesn't become a headhunter song until we tear it apart uh-huh. uh but it but it going to be all right has a very strong message i felt like last year things were going to be all right it's a little crazy right now you know what's going on but It's it's a great way, especially especially now since we're faced with nuclear Armageddon and um, post COVID pandemic and climate change and all all this stuff uh, that I think we really needed to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like it too. I think it was a great way to start the album. Off. How could I? It was a Blackstone Cherry song uh-huh. that they'd never done, and Richard had a hand in writing that. Okay, and Richard brought the demo out, and we just completely tore that song apart and rewrote that you know made it made it more of a headhunter thing it's across the way we did it was like the the rolling stones meet the georgia satellites and and go on a go to a party with jojo gun or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 fun I'm, I'm looking at a list here i don't have the actual album the uh, Water, go ahead go ahead please yeah watercolors in the rain yeah richard brought that it was uh the lyrics were by richard and a fella that just passed away from ohio by the name of wl stone and okay. uh that's got some got a nice song about that that's that's good stuff too right there uh susanna love and music man ain't always an easy thing to do too much time Doug Phelps's um, inspiration, and he uh, wrote that after Lavon Hill passed away. He said that affected him uh, very strong. And uh, but know, you, man, you come was, strongly to that song. I, I love that it's got this this great Marshall Tucker esque kind of oh yeah dramatic yeah, build at the beginning that is uh, that's led yeah. by you on guitar, brother. been gone for way too long on this road that I'm traveling on looking for something that I just may never find music lives down inside 
Yeah, we are. Well, actually, Richard and I, it's, uh, I'm playing, he's playing the Telecaster. I'm playing uh, this old 57 Strat right here. Okay. That's my okay. thing. That's what I use on it. And um, it is very, I can hear where you say the Marshall Tucker. It also reminds me of Blind Faith a little bit. Yeah. You yeah. Know, just, a, just a hair. I think it's that, uh, that progression that, it's been, you know, it's, this progression has been around for a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like White Room. Yeah, very much. You know, something like that. And uh, it's just a very strong song for anybody, any woman that's married to a musician. I think they're going to really feel that song. Now, it's just slap down in the middle of this album. Uh, is the is the title track that's a fact oh, yeah. jack since since this album is really kind of all about perspectives yeah that song reaches out and slaps you right across the face That's right. That's right. It's, it's another one of Richard Young's many sermons, sermonette. That's what I call it. Uh, it's a great thought. He's, he's right on. Could you he have did. written that song 25 years ago? Not quite like that. It, I call it Cousins to Wishing Well. There's a song called Wishing Well on our second album. Uh-huh. And even though they're not the same subject, they're introspective songs and mm-hmm. they reach deep into your soul. You know, that's, what, that's Richard's way of um, preaching. But not beating you over the head too bad. But yeah, <laughs> but you're right. No, it was a it was a product of the climate, uh, climbing out of the wreckage of 2020 type song, you know. Yeah. And here we are, we're on a you know the world, we're on a track, you know. If we don't quit fussing and fighting, it's going to go off. But it's it's yeah. that it's that perspective that comes along with maturity as well, yeah. in, in which you're you're either you're either smacking somebody across across the head and saying, hey, "Wake up." Or you're telling them that it's going to be all right. Yes. You know, that that whatever happens, you just got to get through the day, pick yourself up, keep on moving. That's right. I, mean, I had a preacher tell me one time, Greg, it was Pastor Chuck Smith, Costa Mason, said, Greg, it's okay to fall in the dirt. Just jump back up and get back up and knock the dust off, you yeah, know? Yeah. And and that's Richard. Richard, uh, Richard could write commercial songs and he's done it he's done it you know he he went to nashville while i was with mcdowell and he started out Mm -hmm. doing that Mm -hmm. but he's chosen he's written matter of fact he wrote a co-wrote a great song i'm from the country with marty brown and another gentleman tracy bird had a big hit with that but richard when he writes something it's worth listening to it's uh Mm -hmm. from his heart he just don't write commercial songs for money Obviously, we want to make a living, but there, but but he, you know, he, it's something he wants to say. Yeah, yeah. He thinks about it. 
but I, I can go back to 2020. It was far more positives looking back, you know, spending time with my family, cleaning my basement up. Yeah. Uh, it was just a, there was a, even though it was a spirit of uh, confusion, uncertainty, there was also in my life, it was a spirit of peace. I just yeah. knew that we're going to be okay. Even when I, they told me I had COVID, I thought, well, you know, my wife asked me, are you scared? I said, not really. I'm, we'll just take it as it comes. You yeah. Know? Yeah. What yeah. they eat. <laughs> we got to eat. <laughs> but you know, uh, that's it. That's it. So let, let me ask you in, in yes, those sir. regards, because I, I, I'm looking at your, your touring again. And yeah. Yeah. We're going back on tour where uh, we've played two shows this year. <laughs> we're, uh, we're heading back out this coming week. You know, we're the mm-hmm. touring season starting. I think we'll be pretty busy by the grace of God. But it, it, it looks like it. it looks like it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty heavy, uh, heavy schedule. Yeah. You guys scheduled uh, or you guys traveled and toured almost constantly for uh, I, I'm guessing probably the last 40 years at least. So, yeah. so how easy is it? Because none of us are getting any younger. How easy is it for <laughs> you after this break? to to ramp back up to to take that on again well i mean we had to build the calluses back up a bit yeah and uh it was a little you know well you know our thing was going into the studio last year after some inactivity of 2020 you know it was we were a little mush brain so to speak you know we the first day in the studio we were like we just couldn't get it right and uh Finally, by second day, we started kind of getting back in our groove. Yeah. So it's a little hard, you know, but but um, I feel pretty good about this year. I think once mm-hmm. we get back, we, we've done two shows this year. We played, I thought we played well. I think the band plays better than it's ever played, but we're not as, we're not out there running all over the stage. I, I don't, it's all, to me, it's all about the music now and connecting with the audience anyway. That's the whole deal, man. We're, you know, we'll be touring this year and uh, we'll be out there quite a bit. I have a feeling we're going to be out there a lot more than what's showing on the schedule. I think there's some more dates coming. Uh, then wow. I'll be doing my radio show, my radio thing, too, you know. Indeed, indeed. Uh, by, by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be listening. I'm going to become a faithful listener to that radio show. Um, I hope you like it, man. And, and Ron Britton, I'll, I'll just touch on this real quick. And um, because it, the Lowdown Hoedown is my radio show. Yes, it's every sir. Monday night from seven to every Monday night from seven to ten Central Standard Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does stream. It streams at uh, WDNSFM.com or D93 Rocks. And, and I will post links to that in the notes Thank so you. people. Yes. And, and a big inspiration for that was uh, Ron Britton. To be honest with you, one night back in '68, I happened to catch the Subterranean Circus. On WCFL one night, Ron's underground show. I had already heard Ron doing his wacky, crazy <laughs> AM stuff that he did during the week. Uh-huh. But then on Sunday night, here was this introspective DJ playing the Mothers of Invention, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Cream, Arn Butterfly, and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And I listened to Ron every Sunday that I could. And then, you know, for years, he was just in my heart and soul. And when I got on, back in, in 97, I got on the computer. I said, whatever happened to Ron Britton? What happened to Ron, Ron Britton? I finally connected with uh, Ronnie Rice from the uh-huh. New Colony Six. I contacted him through an email. And he called me. 
And he said, I know a guy that might know where Ron is. It was Dick Biondi. Okay. And I called Dick. You know who he is. I do. And and I called Dick Biondi and uh, said, hey, this is Greg with the Kentucky Hammers. Oh, I love you guys. This and that. And and I said, well, I'm trying to track Ron Britton now. I just want to thank you because I'm doing a radio show now. And it's all because of him. He said, well, I think. I think he's back in Louisville. Mm-hmm. I'm going, whoa. And I'm, you know, I'm like, and I finally had a friend that tracked him down, a real estate guy, somehow on a piece of property. His name was Ron Magel, but it said Ron Britton. And I called Ron Britton up and we hit it off and we come from. Oh, sure. It's just one of those uh, synchronicity things, man. That's it's it. a journey. It's a journey. That's it. Yeah. Last question I have for you, brother. Um, yes, sir last song on the album let's <laughs> all get together and fight which i've likened to grandma got run over by a mac truck that's uh, our uh, <laughs> yeah that's our Ernest tub on acid song <laughs> <laughs> written from experience and tell people uh what this song is about it's another richard young uh-huh. you know richard richard ain't gonna lie to you in a song you know uh it's written everybody <laughs> he started telling me about this song three or four years ago yeah and and finally fi- we had been trying to record it we never got it mm-hmm. and finally we got in the studio and he played it he kind of gave me a rough outline of what it was and, mm-hmm. and he, he didn't even want to play on it he said no you just play the acoustic i played a couple of acoustic parts and i put the you know the the country electric all that kind of stuff and um it's yeah man come on here in the south you know we get together everybody gets together they want to fight politics sports or whatever stuff of life man i consider myself proper white trash and this is every uh every holiday i've ever experienced with family It's holiday time in the south And we're headed to grandma's house With plenty of bottles of homemade wine And cases of ice cold stout All of my cousins, brothers and sisters And all the mothers I know Well, I'll jump and lend a hand when the party turns to blow. So let's all get together and fight. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> listen, I come from a family. When we moved back to Midcap County, my Aunt Bertha lived in Edmonton. So my mother, her twin sister, my mother's name Ruth, her sister's name Ruby and my aunt Helen, they would all gather in front of the old hot point stove and they would get fighting yeah. about politics every Sunday. So it don't have to be a holiday. It don't have to be it don't have to be Christmas. It don't have to be Easter. It's just everybody's gonna get together and fight, but they're not gonna, you know, when it's said and done, <laughs> it's family and you're gonna love each other, right? You know. Last I, I guess I lied about the last question. That's but the, okay, last, man. the last question I, I, I really have for you is, you know, we, we had the Spotify fights with Neil Young and, uh, and the COVID controversy with, uh, with Eric Clapton, you guys really, 
really stay out of uh, of the the political mess that that I think kind of ruins regardless of what side you're on or what side your side of the aisle you're on. I th- I think at some point too much of that ruins the music of, of an artist. Do you, your your thoughts on not, that? Yeah, I agree. I do not want to be in a and I, and I feel the rest of the guys the same way. Yeah. First off, politics is not going to fix anything. I'm, that's just my opinion, okay? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to take up for either side. It's not going to fix anything. Mm-hmm. When it's said and done, it, the help is going to come from above. That's me. And, um, you know, fighting about politics is really immature. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah, the funny thing is we probably all don't see alike in the band. But but we're not going. We're not going to even talk about it. We're just not going to. It's about the music, man. Yeah, it's about yeah. it's about the music. Yeah. It's hard enough to convey a uh, a thought without the phone or mm-hmm. a computer distracting you anyway. Mm-hmm. So letting something else like the news just messing you up, man. There's no sense in it. Hey, and I God bless Eric Clapton. I love Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. You know, man. I've been to him ever since the Yardbirds. And yeah. Uh, I guess maybe he had a, I guess he had an adverse reaction to a shot or something, right? Is that yeah. what it was? I guess. I, 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 I think so. I, I'm not, I, I try, I, I really try know. to, I try to spin out of that from uh, with, with artists mostly, you know, yeah, unless you, they invite the conversation, but, but I, I, I don't too much of that tends to begin to sour my reaction to, to their music. Yeah, man. I, yeah, you're exactly right. Just, so I, a, yeah. I I quit following it because I, I I see a lot of people giving Clapton crap, and I don't want to do that because I yeah. he he means a lot to me. I mean, uh, yep. when I heard Cream, it really affected me in a great way, yeah. and I don't want. I, I've never really met him. He walked by me at the Grammys one time. <laughs> you know, I couldn't even say anything. Uh, <laughs> as far as the, uh, the Neil Young deal, I don't really have an opinion about that i whatever you know uh we, we can we can leave that opinion to uh leonard skinner <laughs> they have a good opinion about it which by the way next time we talk i'm gonna i'm gonna have to have to talk uh talk to you about about being approached by leonard skinner uh, artemis pile is a is a friend of the show and uh you know, yeah so but uh I'd love to talk to you about that about that at a later date. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. We 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 can do this again. This is just the first time. I, I know we went a lot longer than you probably wanted to. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I I set aside the afternoon for you. But thank you, just, thank just you. Uh, I'm, we're blessed to have each other. Uh, yeah. It was all fate how we even came together. Like I say, there's yeah. a, a series of things that happened in life that it's always fate. really wasn't us, man. Yeah, you know, it's, it was, uh, it's always fate. I'm, I'm a theater guy, and uh, and then with my with my previous co-host um, Carrie Kendall, we we found each other in an entirely fateful way. Um, it's all about fate, especially in the arts, as you know. It, it is, man. And I'll tell you what, I'll leave you guys with this right here because you were all talking right. about Zeppelin Four, and if Led Zeppelin had ended up in Muhlenberg County. Kentucky in 70 or 71 when we were doing Led Zeppelin 4 uh-huh. it might have sounded like this uh, Stairway to Heaven would have been Stairway to the Outhouse mm-hmm. 
There we go. Stairway you're to the outhouse. You know, you know, I'm gonna have to bootleg that, right? <laughs> Greg Martin is the lead guitarist for the Kentucky Headhunters to date. They have released eight studio albums, three compilations, and count them, 23 singles to date. Uh, the band has won three Country Music Association Awards, an Academy of Country Music Award, and a Grammy Award for Best Country Performance by a duo or group with a vocal, They won, uh, which, which they won in 1990 for Pickin' on Nashville. A great, great album. The new album is That's a Fact Jack. The website is KentuckyHeadhunters.com. Uh, we'll post all that and a link to the radio show in the notes below. Greg, what a pleasure. Thank you, man. Let's do this again. Absolutely. I don't know what we'll talk about. We'll talk about... Um, I suspect we'll find something. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And have a, have a wonderful, wonderful day, man. You know, let's just enjoy it. There's two. And too many can folks bitching So let's all get together and find Give me a stick Oh, it's all